Thank you, Luke. Well, good morning and welcome again to the Family Bible Hour. I trust that you all had a nice uh, Thanksgiving Day weekend last week and have had an opportunity to gather with your family and friends to enjoy God's blessings to us. Uh, this week, once again, we resume our study on the book of Genesis, and we will look at chapter 43 of this marvelous book of beginnings. So if you still have your Bible handy, <coughs> would you please turn with me to Genesis chapter 43, verses 1 to 34, and this will serve as our main text for this morning's message. And again, Luke, thank you very much for reading this passage for us in its entirety uh, before we began. But before we begin the sermon itself, let's turn to the Lord in prayer uh, and ask his blessings. Father, again, we are delighted to be here this morning and to open thy word and to study its contents. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God will be pleased to illuminate our understanding of the text before us and to show us our responsibility before thee, a holy God and our Savior, as to what we ought to do and how we ought to do it. For we ask it in our Savior's name and for his glory. Amen. If you recall from our last message of a few weeks ago, we had looked at Genesis 42 and saw how Joseph's brethren came to Egypt to buy corn during the great famine that devastated all the nations of the earth. For we are told in Genesis chapter 41, verses 56 to 57, that the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. God, who is always in control, even when circumstances seem to be at their worst, used Joseph to be his extended hand of mercy and grace, not only to Jacob and his family, but also to all the nations in the world and uh, Egypt in particular. Though Joseph went through some terrible times of affliction, of pain and suffering, it was all intended for good. And sometimes when Satan seems to get directly involved in the affairs of men to destroy them and to uh, thwart their plans and their hopes, God overrules what Satan had intended for evil. God turns to good. And as we have already mentioned before, Joseph is a picture of Christ. He who was rejected by his own brethren and wickedly treated by them and sold into uh, slavery for a mere 20 pieces of silver back in Genesis 37, emerges here as the savior of the world in Genesis chapter 42 and 43. Thus, sent by Jacob to buy corn in Egypt, 
Joseph's brethren meet their long-lost brother, unaware of his identity yet, and though he immediately recognizes them, they do not recognize him. He consequently accuses them of being spies, for we read in Genesis 42.9, And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. Suddenly, now overcome with great fear for their lives, the brethren quickly revealed to him their family background, protesting their innocence, telling him that they were sent by their father to buy corn, that they are twelve brothers, the youngest was left at home, while one of their other brothers is now dead. But as we saw, things went from bad to worse, or so it seemed to them. Joseph demands proof, and so he keeps Simeon as hostage, while he sends the rest of the brothers back to, uh, while he sends the rest of the brothers back to Egypt with the corn, um, not Egypt, to, uh, to Jacob, to Israel. Israel, don't forget, that is uh, Jacob's uh, name now, so we, we don't want to get that confused with the nation of Israel because the nation isn't born yet. We just have Jacob and his offspring. So they sent him back to Jacob, but demands that they bring their youngest brother back to him if they wish to see Simeon alive again. That way, Joseph tells them, he will know that they are telling him the truth. They, of course, protest, but to no avail. They finally return home to Jacob, but along the way, they discover that their money had been placed back in their sacks of the corn. Again, seized by fear, they recognize God's hand in all of this, believing it is for their demise. For they ask in Genesis 42, verse 28, What is this that God hath done unto us? When they finally return home to Jacob and explain their harrowing experiences, Jacob is grief-stricken a second time and tells them in Genesis 42, verse 36, me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And so the chapter ends with Jacob refusing to let Benjamin go back with them to Egypt. And so as we begin chapter 43 of Genesis, we read that the famine has gotten worse. The corn which Jacob's sons brought home from Egypt has all been used up. And because of the severity of the famine, Jacob once again decides to send his sons back to Egypt to buy yet some more corn. Now, how much time has already passed since their return from Egypt? We are not told. What we do know is that it was long enough to have changed Jacob's mind about sending his sons back to Egypt. 
Please notice in the next seven verses, verses 3 to 10, it is Judah who takes the lead role here as he reminds Jacob that they cannot return back to Egypt without Benjamin. For he tells his father that the man, referring to Joseph, expressly said, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you, in verse 3. Judah continues to plead with his father, explaining that they will not go down to Egypt without Benjamin, because the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you, verse 5. Twice, Judah tells his father the condition that the man Joseph had set. And so determined was Judah that it also became a precondition for them to go as well. Judah knew that misfortune of a greater kind would befall them if they were to return to Egypt without Benjamin. And herein is an important lesson to be gleaned for us as believers. Joseph, who is a picture of Christ, had given his commandment. He, as the ruler of all of Egypt at this point in time, and as the savior of the world in that he alone had the power to supply food during the famine, would not change his mind. And no amount of pleading or arguing would ever make up any difference. His will was to see Benjamin, and Judah understood enough that that had to be. For Judah had been in the presence of this very powerful ruler of Egypt, and had already experienced the crippling fear of standing before such a one. And what a clear picture here is presented of the future encounter of face-to-face -face with the God of this universe someday. For we are told that both saint and sinner alike will have to stand before God Almighty and give an account of how we have lived, Romans 14, 12, and Revelation 20, 11 to 15. It is that awareness that should cause each one of us to walk circumspectly in this life and to faithfully carry out that which the Lord has commanded us all to do. Secondly, it is only fitting that it was Judah who thus pleaded the case with Jacob. If you recall, it was Judah who, back in Genesis 37, verses 26 to 27, suggested, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Now perhaps, still overcome with guilt in having sold his brother into slavery, Judah wishes to somehow make amends by taking responsibility for Benjamin if Jacob allows them to take him with them back to Egypt. It would appear to be genuine repentance on the part of Judah, for we read in verses 8 and 9 of our chapter, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. 
I will be surety for him. Of my hand shall thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. Judah is fully aware of the gravity of this situation. If they do not go, then the whole household is in danger of starving to death and dying by starvation is a most horrendous way to die. And secondly, they would never again see Simeon. Sometimes it seems that even a wayward child can arise to the occasion and do something noble like Judah does in this case. Jacob bends to Judah's persuasive argument and finally allows them to take Benjamin back to Egypt. He also sends them away with their best fruits, balm, honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds as a gift offering to plead their sincerity, and then he also doubles the amount of money needed so that no accusation can be leveled against them as thieves. Herein is also a noteworthy lesson for us as parents. There are times when our adult children do give sound and reasonable advice during moments of great turmoil. When grief and misfortune strikes, it leaves parents often emotionally handicapped and unable to see clearly through the circumstances. That is when wise counsel is needed most from those who care and also who are concerned. The wise parent will listen to reason. And so Jacob bids them Godspeed and tells them in verse 14, And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Please notice Jacob's statement about God and mercy. If we expect mercy from men, we must first seek it from God. For it is God who has all the hearts in his hand and turns them as he pleases. For the Bible tells us from cover to cover that the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. Second Chronicles 30 verse 9. And then in Psalm 103, verse 8, we read, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. And then we hear Jonah confessing in Jonah 4.2, For I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, etc., and oh, how many times we as believers forget this principle, that it is God who is merciful and gracious. And when he wills, he can cause even fallen man to show mercy to his fellow man. And perhaps the reason we forget so often is because we have a misplaced trust. Instead of trusting the Lord to accomplish such and such, we trust our fellow man to do it instead. And in the process, we may waste many a precious opportunity to move on. 
the scene then suddenly changes in verse 15. And the men that took the present, and they took double money in their hand, and Benjamin, and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Please remember that Joseph's brethren had just traveled a long way to get there. It had taken them many, many arduous days, if not weeks, to arrive there with all of their beasts of burdens and wagons, etc. They were exhausted, but equally as well, they were very, very frightened. They assumed they would be taken to task because of the money which they had found hidden in their sacks from their first trip. They were very concerned about Simeon. Would they ever see him again? Would he be released? And what about Benjamin? If all of this should go wrong, surely Jacob would die of grief. Not only did he lose Joseph and Simeon, but now he would lose all of his other sons. And I'm certain the brothers discussed all of these sorts of things, for that is what the human mind and heart thinks of in times of peril. And now to make things worse, so to speak, they saw Joseph in verse 16 and the steward quietly speaking. Though they did not hear what was being said, they thought the worst of the situation, as we can see from verses 16 to 18. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bid, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, Because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us, and take us for bondmen and our asses. We must remember also that Joseph and the steward spoke only in Egyptian in front of the brethren. And that in and of itself unnerves us even at the best of times. What are they speaking? Are they speaking ill of us, etc.? And so the mind continues to grow more apprehensive. When they were brought into Joseph's house, the brothers, in verse 19, communed with the steward of Joseph's house at the door of the house, and with integrity of heart they revealed their innocency concerning the money that was returned to them, and said that they have brought it back with them. As to how it got into their sacks in the first place, they had no idea. Now, what comes next is of paramount importance, for it verifies the sovereignty of God's plans and his omniscience in the affairs of men. The steward tells them in verse 23, Peace be to you, fear not, your God, and the God of your father, meaning Jacob, hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon 
out onto them. First, please notice that the steward tells them that they are not to be afraid because their God and the God of their father Jacob has given them the money. For he was the one who had the money and put it there. Now, why would he have made such a statement about the God of their father unless he had been previously informed by Joseph and had been brought to the saving knowledge of the one true God, the God of the Hebrews. Again, we see God's gracious and merciful hand at work here. And what transpires in the next few verses, verses 24 to 34, is most heartwarming and is perhaps the most beautiful description in all of Scripture of how the love of God and unwavering faith in Him can bring reconciliation to even the most complicated of broken relationships and hearts that have been divided by envy and hatred. Though Joseph's brothers are aliens to the land of Egypt and strangers to the custom of the land, they are nonetheless treated with the utmost kindness and respect as they are brought into the house and informed that they are to be guests of the ruler of Egypt and are to dine there that day. They make ready the gifts which they brought with them, and when Joseph enters into their presence, they present him with their gift and bowed themselves to him to the earth. Verse 26. Using an interpreter, Joseph inquires about their father Jacob and his welfare. He then turns his attention to Benjamin and asks if he is the younger brother of whom they, sp they spoke. For Benjamin was now grown. And then in verse 29, Joseph blesses his younger brother by saying, God be gracious unto thee, my son. Again, revealing that Joseph was still in God's will and was always ready to acknowledge his connection and trust in the ruler of all rulers. Overcome with his natural affection for his brother and his joy in seeing him again along with the rest of his brothers, Joseph quickly retires to weep privately in his chambers. For it was at this precise moment in Joseph's tumultuous, difficult journey <laughs> that he perhaps understood for the first time the unfolding of God's plan for him, for his family, and for the nation of Egypt. How God had so carefully managed his affairs, even in his most darkened moments, and how he tenderly nurtured him so that he might finally become the extended hand of God's grace to his people. Joseph, after having composed himself, returns to the dining hall, but sits at a separate table, since we are told in verse 32 that Egyptians are not to eat with Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptian. Nevertheless, this chapter ends on a cheerful note. 
The brothers are all seated according to their birthright at one table, marveling with one another because of the sudden change of fortune, while Joseph, seated at the other table, sends to Benjamin five times as much food as any of the other brothers. Verse 34. And they drank and were merry with him. And so we come to the end of our sermon for this morning, but as always, before I step down from this platform, I must ask you this. Are you saved? Are you genuinely born again of the Spirit of God? Because if you are not, then nothing you do from here on in in this life will be of lasting value. Many years ago, when I was very young in the faith, I learned a very important lesson from a very wise preacher. At the end of his sermon, he always called the people to receive Christ and in the process reminded them that the only thing they will ever be able to take with them to heaven is their children and their grandchildren. And without Christ indwelling in our souls, we are without hope. And so I trust that we all here this morning are in Christ. But if perchance you are not certain, then why not turn from your sins and turn to him this morning and receive him as your Savior and your Lord? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told in Acts 16.31, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee so much for this beautiful story of Joseph and his brethren. We're shown that when things in life get so dark and apparently without hope, God is able to burst through with his grace and make marvelous things happen. And so, Father, we thank thee for this story of Joseph and his brethren and do look forward to reading the rest of the story. But in the meantime, Father, we pray that as we open thy scriptures, that we do not open them carelessly or mechanically, that we open them with an open heart to see what thou would have us to do. Part us now, we pray with thy blessings. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again next Lord's Day to bring us together around his table to remember what he has accomplished for each of us on the cross of Calvary and to give him all the praise and all the glory. In his name, amen. Thank you.